Hey guys, before the show gets started today, I just wanted to let you know that for the month of July, we have a couple of cool specials. Alexa Tran has joined the team and to celebrate, we're offering 15% off initial consultations with Alexa for all of July. So contact us if that sounds like something you'd like to take advantage of. Also, as far as July rolls, we are celebrating Christmas in July and I have popped Eat Cookbook on sale $10 off for July. So you can also jump on the website to take advantage of that sale. Otherwise, on with today's show. You are listening to the JCN Clinic Podcast. The JCN Clinic Podcast is a place where nutritionalists Jessica Cox and Carissa Mason get real about nutrition and living a healthy life. They share with you their passion and their clinical knowledge for a fun, no BS approach to looking after yourself. Please enjoy today's episode and don't forget to subscribe and iTunes. Hello and welcome to the JCN Clinic podcast show. I am Jessica. I am Carissa. (laughs) Sorry. Why that is funny, we do not know, but it is this morning. Because it's Friday and our brains are fried. And today we're talking about um, IBD as opposed to irritable bowel. We do know what we're talking about. So first and foremost, as far as inflammatory bowel disease, we're going to talk about what that actually is and dive into the conditions that are involved, but we want to really break it down and talk about it from the treatment behind how we would approach these conditions. Um, because there's so much information out there that is online. And I think also people who are dealing with these conditions who are working with gastroenterologists, as far as information they have there. And for us, there's so much that can be done. So really to break it down first and foremost with these inflammatory bowel diseases, what we're looking at is quite aggressive, prolonged inflammation that has damaged the digestive tract. And we have two major disease processes. One is ulcerative colitis and the other one is Crohn's. So they collectively are known as the two major, well, they are, they're the two diseases if you looking at inflammatory bowel disease that are going to come up. Um, as far as the inflammation, the ulcerative colitis, it's essentially the one that is more to do with the colon area, whereas the Crohn's is the one that we we'll often say is more from mouth to anus as far as presentation. So, you know, they're both pretty horrible conditions, but Crohn's yeah. is the one that can be literally throughout the entire digestive tract, whereas the ulcerative colitis, yeah, it's more in that that um, colon and rectum area. Yeah, and Crohn's is autoimmune. Is ulcerative colitis considered autoimmune? Not really, is it? Well, I I think that's sort always of an think- interesting topic on its own because I was sort of yeah, looking at trying to find some updated research on that yesterday. I was having a bit of a look around and it's really hard to even get a definite answer on whether they are autoimmune. However, yeah. when you look at the latest sort of up-to-date researchers, research as far as the progression or the underlying kind of well, causes like of the, the disease. Pathophysiology of them and how yeah, they attack the 
body. Exactly. Yeah. Like it's an upregulated immune response, that mucosal immune response, which we would sort of classify as being an autoimmune reaction. And then interestingly, like, yeah, there was some research I was looking at. I was like, oh, that's fascinating that the there's a lot of um, complementary autoimmune conditions that tend to occur when people are experiencing IBD. So there tends to be, if, if you have, say, ulcerative colitis or Crohn's, you're more prone to have these potential other autoimmune presentations. So, again, it starts to have you think, well, like it definitely seems to be presenting in that same way. I guess it's kind of like, I know you mentioned before we started talking about celiacs, it's like kind of like this space of trying to define, you know, what is its what is its underlying cause, like how much of this is being driven by a, um, an autoimmune response. But it, it does yeah. seem to be still, yeah, it still seems to be a slight little bit of a gray area. But I, yeah. you know, I would put my hand up and be like, it definitely is an upregulated immune response. And that's pretty much similar to what we're seeing with autoimmunity, right? I kind of feel that even the same, like I have this giant, oh, this giant, this chat with a lot of my clients. Let's just start making up words. Like chat with clients to now giants, all right? <laughs> I've been doing this so much lately. Um, so like, but even like um, endometriosis, like I feel like, again, yes. that's one of those, um, you know, conditions that sit into this space of is it autoimmune or is mm-hmm. it not? And then when you kind of look at like the aggression of it and the pathophysiology of it a little bit, like it, it kind of, it is a bit of a gray area even with that so like I guess I've always thought of like always thought of Crohn's as autoimmune and then ulcerative colitis as kind of sitting in a gray zone but I think now that even the more we understand about both of them it's just kind of like yeah it's I feel like they're kind of there enough they're they're, they're enough category (laughs) they're there enough to be kind of autoimmune I guess (laughs) well I mean realistically with either condition like whether we're talking about its location we're having this increased or upregulated I always tend to sort of say more mucosal response so at this mucosal lining of the gut there's this really exacerbated immune response and you know if that's occurring that's where we start seeing these, um, I guess, some of the classic markers that we would see with these conditions that might differentiate it, something important to point out as opposed to like just a standard IBS, not that IBS is something to just go, meh, it's nothing because it can be completely disruptive and horrible. But usually because of this um, increased inflammation that's occurring, we're seeing the classic ulcerations and the changes even at that – that sort of mucosal lining level to the to the layers of the the sort of tissue there, and then when we're testing, whether it's obviously us through functional testing or um, people talking to GPs or going and getting diagnosis through a gastroenterologist, there is the blood in the stool, the mucus in the stool, the raised. <laughs> you can see Damien in the background. Single <laughs> like wave. <laughs> the raised um epx and what's the other one that's often raised that we see the calprotectin calprotectin yep yep so they're sort of the classic ones that might start to present with testing and then people will often go down the gastroenterologist pathway colonoscopy endoscopy where they'll have that 
I guess, that true uh, diagnosis as far as being able to identify that there's those ulcerations that are there and present. So yeah, yeah, yeah. and then even under like I'm not like I know Crohn seems to be Crohn's, but then underneath the ulcerative colitis bracket, then there's a couple of little sub branches as well. Like there's like the micro microcytic mm-hmm. something colitis like I can't write their big long names and I know I've got a lot of clients with and mm-hmm. there's there's like macro macrocytic microcytic something else and they all are to, like like their little sub subsections of the ulcerative colitis um, umbrella as well so they're like a little section off they're still obviously considered ulcerative colitis to a degree yeah. well they are sorry but then they're like they're like a little extra or dif- like different presentation of it again which is just like obviously usually di- what is diagnosed when a colonoscopy is done for sure too, so for sure yeah and I think the other thing while we're talking about the, the presentation of these diseases is that the symptom picture is yeah, often definitely. quite more extreme. So there, there does classically seem to be these periods of extreme. There you go. There's my work word make up the day. Extreme. <laughs> these extreme inflammatory wow. presentations, and then it can go into what is often referred to as like a remission, a remission state. But yeah. people will, besides like alternating bowels and bloating and the sort of discomfort that we might associate with IBS majority of the time these people experiencing rectal bleeding um, there can be quite a lot of blood whether it's fresh blood or a, what we call a cold blood so it's like a it's quite it's in the stool it's it's darker and it's coming from higher up um, there's often like a lot of loose bowel movements that happen when they have Lots these episodes with yeah. a lot of blood yes. and mucus and then a lot of pain and cramping. Like it's it's really horrible. And then systemically as a result of this, a lot of people will experience a lot of weight loss, um, obviously energy, God, just yeah. horrible energy. And that's, I mean, often as we talk about in, in relation to energy in lots of podcasts, like it's, it's so multifactorial, like just the fact that your body's dealing with all that inflammation, but then the chronic malabsorption that starts to occur. So a lot of people with these conditions are very anemic, um, really low B12 because they're not absorbing that um, very well. So, you know, it really just, is dialed up. I just up. say something on the note of B12 as well? Like I think, and this is something that I get, I think is overlooked for so many people with these really chronic gut conditions is that when you have them and it doesn't even have to be IBD but we commonly probably see it more in IBD is that um that flick of intrinsic factor and then people don't actually they stop absorbing their B12 in their gut yeah um and I think that one that's not commonly checked for a lot of people with these conditions like they're you know they're they're, if you have inflammatory bowel disease or like sorry ulcerative colitis or Crohn's or even celiac disease like you have these chronic inflammatory gut conditions where Mm -hmm. Um, absorption of your, of your nutrients is going to be a factor. You need to be getting your bloods checked regularly. Like yeah. I do with my with my ulcerative colitis clients. I don't have any, any clients with Crohn's at the moment, which is nice. I'm not, you know, but like I've got, I've got quite a few with ulcerative colitis at the moment. But like you need to be doing your bloods every mm-hmm. three to six months, mm-hmm. especially if things are low or suboptimal. Yeah. Um, and if you're B12, if you, and this is for practitioners listening, this is for people, um, like people who have these conditions, like if you are constantly low in B12 and you are taking B12 supplements, and it's not working, you need to go and get your intrinsic factor checked because yeah. if that 
flicks and that's almost like a little autoimmune switch in the gut as well like mm. it will flick off if, and you will not absorb your b12 it's mm. probably the easiest way to explain it and then you obviously need um yeah you need sublingual b12 or you need b12 injections a lot of the time and that can be something that you might have to consider for the rest of your life exactly so, exactly and particularly and because of like you just said there's that switching switching off potentially the intrinsic factor but even yeah of course that local damage literally to the area particularly with Crohn's when we're dealing with like potential damage um all the way through this intestinal tract like it's Um, just it's it's epic I mean you see when you think about like b12 on its own let alone all the other you know nutrients that you're not absorbing like b12 so important for your energy so important for your mental health so important for your detoxification all of this inflammatory response and then quite often these people alone and that's when we start seeing these more systemic um these gut conditions become very systemic very quickly yeah exactly so I think we've kind of given a little bit of an overview and I, I really want to dive into more of like, well, you know, we sort of highlighted the sort of symptom presentation and what we might see, but I really want to get into the nitty gritty of underlying causes. Cause I know we talked about an, an upregulated immune response, but there's a lot more that's going on that I think is um, important for us to discuss today because that correlates through to how we might treat these conditions. Um, I wanted to say, though, before, beforehand, something that really frustrated me with having a look <laughs> yesterday when I was just checking out a few of the sort of latest studies is, like, if you Google, like, IBD and you start looking at ulcerative colitis and Crohn's as far as definitions and causes, you will see so commonly that there is no it'll it'll be often written that diet has no effect that these conditions oh, are not related to diet in any way but how, how and, many times have we heard that from a gas like not, I, know. I know there's some bloody great gastroenterologists out there some of my clients have great ones but i've also had gastroenterologists say to my clients with inflammatory bowel disease it doesn't matter what you eat it will have no impact on this condition yeah and, and it's sometimes i just want to march into that office <laughs> And the thing is, it's so commonly still written, but why I wanted to bring it up is that because I was looking at some updated studies to see like kind of the latest stuff I could find, one that I was looking at was a really interesting study where they had a collection of people that they had put on an autoimmune protocol diet and seen really fantastic changes in their inflammatory markers. So it's like on we're seeing these studies coming through already that are starting to show that people are improving with their symptom picture with changes in diet, but there's still this sort of old school of thought that like, it's nothing to do with diet. doesn't matter what you eat. You're just, you're all inflamed and ulcerated and we're just going to give you immunosuppressants and that's it. Steroids for the rest of your life. (laughs) It's just, it just irked me a little bit. And I just thought I would bring that one up because obviously we're going to be talking a lot about, how we can treat this or, or deal with the inflammation on a multi-layered level. And I just think that maybe it's something that people might be like, oh, but I've heard that you can't really do anything. It's not really about what you eat. Yeah. And just for anyone who is not well-versed in what the autoimmune protocol is, the autoimmune, autoimmune protocol, it does vary from space to space depending on where you look. But typically it is a diet that is very low or completely has removed, usually um gluten or most grains yeah legumes it's very um, paleo some it's very it's, it's very like paleo um probably in its in its makeup it mm. usually 
um, removes, I think, nuts and seeds. Yeah, nuts lectins. at least for a while. So your lectins mm-hmm. and your phytates, like all of that's that right? Lectins and phytates. Yeah. Gosh, brain. Yeah. Anyway, so it's usually it's more like definitely, hopefully, more plant based. Sometimes even lower fiber. I've seen some that are more like that residue diet. I don't yes. know if you've heard. Yeah. The residue diet. So for people who um, aren't familiar with that, either a, a resi- low residue diet is basically a very low fiber diet. So yeah. it's just like nothing that kind of promotes any sort of, you know, colonic motility. Yeah. So obviously for people with these conditions who have got a lot of loose bowels happening and stuff like that, like they can slow colonic motility. I don't know how much I agree with the low residue diet, to be honest, because mm-hmm. I feel like it's just pumping a lot of meat and, you know, like fiber it works obviously a symptom control, I yeah. think, in initial stages. But I think, again, it's just, it's very similar in the autoimmune protocol. And I know we're probably going to touch on this, that all of these diets are t- to be used as tools, um, yeah. you know, probably for symptom control. But obviously long-term goal, what we're obviously so passionate about is getting you back on hopefully a good variety of a lot of these foods that these protocols remove mm-hmm. um, so that you do and can have a quality of life with food and hopefully, you know, not as many flares if none at all would be great. So Exactly. So let's sort of break it down and talk a little bit more about, we've we've mentioned the inflammation that's going on, but what is the elephant in the room is the microbiome itself. And this is where, of course, there's a lot more interest and research happening, but it really, I believe, hasn't had enough attention in this space. And for us working in this space, we see day-to-day how profound uh very dysbiotic or imbalanced microbiome severe overgrowth or severe undergrowth of bacteria or of overgrowth of not only bacteria yeast potential parasite involvement how much that creates a profound amount of mucosal inflammation itself And as even a byproduct of that, for all of these amazing bacteria that help us out on a multitude of level, how much that can then disrupt our short chain fatty acid production, which are the little um, organic acids that our bacteria produce that have a massive, massive role in keeping our gut lining and the cells of our gut lining nice and healthy. And when you start thinking about just the day-to-day role of the bacteria in our gut and these short chain fatty acids. And then you look at a gut where there is a profound amount of imbalances and a reduced amount of producing these really important short chain fatty acids. We're seeing a real sort of mixing pot of sort of precursors to pushing someone down this more inflamed mucosal activity pathway. Now there might be, as always, some genetic predispositions here, like often I mean, we, we see this with our clients through really in-depth case taking that Crohn's might be something that runs in the family or, or something along those lines. But usually with what we're looking at is like, how has this been essentially switched on? How has the inflammation become such a problem that it's pushed down this pathway and it's so upregulated? And to do that, we have to be respectful of looking at what's going on with your microbiome. Like you just, you can't just look at it as there's um, some raised white blood cell activity here and some inflammatory markers. So we just need to stop the inflammation by taking these anti-inflammatory medications. We have to think about it on a broader picture as far as, as we're always passionate about is the why why is it inflamed? What's driving that? And how can we 
get into down regulating that and you can't you can just from my point of view you just can't doing do that without respecting what's going on at a microbiome level would yeah, you agree <laughs> agree a hundred percent I was just thinking about and I was just thinking like why you were saying that too like obviously yeah like I think it's like like the the drug space for these conditions is is very sometimes warranted so I think like it's very important for anyone who obviously I think probably more recently diagnosed with um ulcerative colitis or Crohn's that has been put on an immunosuppressant therapy protocol or um, something like that to manage it initially like yeah we're not saying don't do that. Yep. Um, you know, I've definitely had clients that have, you know, come in, they've been diagnosed, and sometimes this immunosuppressant therapy in the initial stages is so bloody necessary just sure. to get this shit under control. Like it, you know, like there's sometimes there's n- we can't do what, as practitioners, what those drugs can do really quickly. Mm-hmm. But what Jess is saying is that you don't, what I've seen, I'm sure you see it as well, is that what we tend to see is that those drugs aren't necessarily necessary. Didn't fuck that up on a Friday. <laughs> Long term. So Exactly. So, so what I like to see in this space is that, you know, if we can work with good gastroenterologists, there's definitely a time and a place for, for the drugs to get the infl- inflammation under control, especially if it is just absolutely, you know, dire straits for people or they're just chronic loose bowels, pooing blood, mucus, all those things. Like sometimes these drugs are so bloody necessary and they are a bloody godsend. However, going back to what actually caused it and what the drivers are is where the nutrition space is so interesting and so probably deserves so much more credit than it actually gets in in a lot of the mainstream, you know, space when it comes to, um, you know, inflammatory bowel disease is the fact that, you know, there is so much that can be done from a food and supplementation and nutrient perspective. Mm -hmm. So to like, you know, to keep people in remission, like what Jess was saying inside of this is that the nature of these conditions are flares and remission, flares and remission, yeah. flares and remission. So it is on a client's part or a person who has this these conditions, like it is sometimes I have to have massive chats with my clients about expecting that like mm-hmm. remission is great but please be prepared for the fact that the nature of these conditions are that they're shitty mm-hmm. and they will flare they're like autoimmune in that that sometimes it's absolutely nothing you've done mm-hmm. and some, you know and you will get a flare and that is to be expected however like with the right types of you know dietary protocols and the right types of supplementation the right type of like microbiome you know respect and restoration <laughs> Like you can, you can really change the, the progression of how these conditions play out for someone over the yeah. course of a life. You can have a radical shift and I've definitely seen this. I know you have in as far as like the time that people are in remission or if they experience a flare, how much of a reduced state that flare yeah. is in. Like by, by particularly with the use of, of functional testing and being able to identify what's going on and then being able to build up a more robust microbiome and increasing its ability to deal with inflammation. It's just, it's just so profound as far as their ability to then navigate the inflammation when it does come their way. And that's not obviously a, it's not a short process. That's like working with someone just to build up that microbiome and, and alongside that, of course, is the dietary space, which we have mentioned. And that does require looking at, okay, what is your gut currently able to tolerate? Like, do yeah. we need to go to a very um, anti-inflammatory protocol? We need to not only think about, 
we mentioned the autoimmune protocols that are out there. Um, is it is it looking at something like that? But is it even further where we need to think about the textures of the food that you're consuming? Um, the types the, of fiber. Exactly, types of fiber. How food is being um, cooked, for instance. Is it is it, do we need to look at more broths and soups and so forth? And what we'll tend to do with clients in this space, particularly if they're in a very, very inflamed state, is we can use these different stages of these diets to walk people back through. So they, we may have someone start in a more um, restricted, for lack of a better word, space, but then our intentional ways is to slowly walk them back out of that as we're reducing inflammation and improving the, their ability to deal with these foods. But, you know, majority of time, these people, because they're, gut mucosal um, immunity is so upregulated, not only are they having these inflammatory responses, they're also having an upregulated immune response usually to food and food proteins and yeah. even the bacterial debris. So like it's, it's, it's a bit of a interweb of all these reactivities. So often these people are reacting to lots of different foods. So we have to be respectful of that and figure that out. And then yeah. – as you mentioned too, with different fibers, like they might be a problem as far as motility, but they might be because of whether there's SIBO or other dysbiosis at play, feeding into those um, adverse sort of overgrowth of commensal bacteria. And then that's causing problems too. So we kind of, we need to use the diet to unpack that as well and use the diet respectfully alongside the gut treatment to slowly walk people back out of this space. But as we're always big at on JCN, it's then, okay, we're not getting you just locked in here where you're on this low residue autoimmune protocol for the rest of your life. It's like we're going to start at this point and then we're going to slowly, slowly reintegrate food because the more we can expand the food and get you to a more diverse intake, the more we're going to be supportive of your microbiome. So, yeah, you go. Oh, and I was just going to say too, like it's so important, like exactly what you said in that space to mention that I think that the classic thing that we, we both have seen all too commonly is the the tail end of people going on autoimmune protocols and yeah. then realizing that potentially, so they pulled grains, so this is like, and just not done in the right settings as Jess was just saying, like it's so important that whatever diet you go on to manage these conditions or any condition is that it's used as a tool to control symptoms but to pull you back out of it because what I think the scary part of, you know, especially the autoimmune protocols, it is very restrictive um, or the low-residue diet, um, they're, they're different but they're both very restrictive in terms of the amount of food that is pulled out and the amount of foods that are necessary to fuel short-chain fatty acids and a healthier colon long-term or healthier, you know, gastrointestinal tract long-term. But is that what I, like what I would see and what Jess would see in, you know, and we kind of see come into the clinic is these people that have had these conditions for, you know, five or 10 or 15 or 20 years and they've been told to go on an autoimmune protocol by a practitioner with, you know, very little education around what an autoimmune protocol actually usually is. So they do a lot of their own research, which is great, and they pull themselves all the, off all these things and then initially they might feel a little bit better but then all of a sudden they start re reacting to nightshades or they mm. start reacting to the sulfur vegetables or they start thinking they're reacting to histamine so they start pulling out more mm -hmm. and more foods and you can back yourself into a really bloody nasty little corner mm -hmm. and I think that's too that's a scary space to be in because then by the time people come and see us, 
you know, if they're at the tail end of that, is yeah, it's that classic scenario where we've talked about with food intolerances and SIBO and that. Like, it is they're on these very limited and restricted diets, and that's mm. not through any fault of their own because no. they're just mi- micromanaging their own condition to the best of their ability with their only education source they have, which is quite often lo- like looking into things themselves. Yeah. But it's it's yeah, it's kind of scary because it's like you know, if you get in with the right practitioner and manage this properly from mm-hmm. the start, the goal is to not let you back yourself into this corner of super restricted eating and instead like just use use this stuff as a tool for a bit of symptom control, but then mm-hmm. definitely try and push you back out of that space. For sure. And that's something that we see with functional testing because we do do a lot of that for someone that you've just described in that environment will often see more of a very um, undergrown terrain in the gut. So I, yeah. you know, and often I, I, a really strong overgrowth in, in a presentation in a functional test is still not great, but a gut that you get those sort of results back where there is such a low growth of abundance of, of bacteria and beneficial species and bottomed out short chain fatty acids. Like, you know, that is generally driven by chronic long-standing gut issues, but essentially also very limited dietary intake. Um, and that's that's a sort of vicious cycle that Chris is just highlighting that ends up happening with as far as increased reactivity. You know, you're trying to do the right thing, but you have just, you have limited your diet so much that you've actually starved so many beneficial bacteria and you're short chain fatty acid output so so limited like how are you able to take care of your your gut locally or even your body systemically when you're not producing all of these important um organic acids essentially that are there to, to help us out so you know it's it's so important that if you are dealing with these conditions to really be be mindful of all of the contributing factors and not, which we're always talking about, not just trying to control symptoms, but looking at how can I, of course, control symptoms because no one wants to feel horrible, but how can I improve my health long-term so I'm not stuck in this cycle of controlling symptoms and consequently potentially causing myself more problems down the track because of the limitations I'm putting on myself. Because I think too, like, Sometimes if you if we can get in early with like more recent diagnosis of inflammatory bowel disease, then quite often like sometimes it's not even a full autoimmune protocol that's necessary. Yeah. It might just be like, okay, cool, well gluten seems to be quite inflammatory for you, let's pull that out. Yeah. And yeah, okay, you seem to have some issues with some of the sulfur veggies. Sometimes, you know, obviously gut testing is great for that because then you can like you know, hone in on potentially some more of those things or high oxalate foods or yeah. or sometimes just by chatting to people. It's like, okay, so you actually sound like you're fine with these sulfur foods and you're fine with nightshades, but histamine seems to be a bit flary for you based on other things that are going on and mm. some gut stuff. So so sometimes it is good. Like if, you, if we can get in early as prackies and actually go over someone's case you know, in depth, you can kind of just, you see the red flags and you can just mm-hmm. literally kind of pull those groups of foods rather than having to go, okay, shit, like we've got glute, we've got gluten out of this equation, we've got dairy out of this equation, we've got eggs out of this equation, we've got histamines out of this equation, we've got oxalates out, <laughs> got, you know, sulfurs out, which is quite often like I've got a lot of clients that have, you know, you know, like come into the clinical via Skype or whatever and that's where they're at yeah. when they come to see me. Like they literally have pulled all of those foods. Yeah. So, and it is, they are literally eating probably not it's not as extreme as saying you know they're just eating some meat and a bit of lettuce and carrots but 
you know, like sometimes mm. it, it's kind of, it, to them it looks like that. Like we can usually find as practice like way more foods for them to mm. eat, but it is like when, when you're in that headspace of just like pulling foods out and just backing yourself kind of into a corner, it is, it's 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 so frustrating for them and I think not, like obviously not fun as well. Like Yeah, exactly. And the longer yeah, you stay in that space, the harder it is to walk back out of it. Um, I wanted to just mention that also like we've talked obviously quite lengths here about the microbiome and probably more about the bacteria and so forth but the other thing that we have a lot um of i guess success with and we put a lot of attention into in this space is that mucosal lining itself so there's a very important relationship with the bacteria there but there's a lot of things that we can use as far as supplements and diet um, that essentially will soothe the irritation and the ulcerations of the gastrointestinal lining. And that's something that, you know, I think as practitioners in this space, we tend to jump into very quickly um, because yeah. we know that, like, we can really help take away a lot of that aggravation and inflammation. And sometimes, you know, we're dealing with a lot of um, reactivity, so some things may not be handled as well. But Generally, just to mention a few things like, you know, we're, we're looking at using good old, we've mentioned it before, like slippery elm to calm the mucosal lining and to create that lovely slippery surface. Um, we may be using, you know, a lot of people respond well to pending, but a lot of the time they might respond well to quite high doses or using glutamine. Um, there's a lot of amino acids that we would use um, to really help support the integrity of that mucosal lining and the and the proteins that are involved there in the sort of mucus secretions and the good thing about what we can do too is we can get savvy with that so if we've got someone that is super super reactive it may not be using just a practitioner product that might have a few other things in it we can like create these little concoctions ourselves but I think you know it's another area that you know that's literally where there is these like ulcerations that are occurring in these inflammatory spots so we can use food and certain supplements medicinally to really hone in on that and treat that and that's even what I guess I was mentioning with the diet like if someone's in a really flared state you know, I often say to my clients, like, we'll use this flare, the flare protocol of what we put together so that the food that you're eating, it's still nourishing you, but it's actually super easy to it's absorb. Um, it's not going to irritate anything on the way down. So, you know, we have to, we sort of have to be respectful of all of these different things that are happening. I think, so. there's some really, like... Um, really cool research on some specific probiotic strains for these yes. um, conditions as well. Yep. Like plantarum, hands down. Like yep. plantarum, like is one of my favourite things that I use for, um, like for like these inflammatory bowel conditions. Like yep. it's just like it's, I don't think it's one you'll find, well, especially the one that's got all the research around it anyway, which I think is the two nine nine B or something like that. Yeah, that's a specific it. plantarum strain. Like it's not something you'll buy over the counter. Um, I don't think there's any product. There might be a couple of products that you might be able to find in over the counter. But I don't think so. But this this guy alone, I have seen do amazing things with just a bit of glutamine and slippery elm, maybe like a bit of you know turmeric or curcumin, obviously, or something like that, and maybe some aloe vera. Like just so those are some nice soothing supplements on the gut line. And yeah. a bit of you know two nine nine B in there, and just 
pulling out some of those, you know, what Jess was saying, like there's a lot more abrasive and, you know, um, inflammatory foods to the gut lining and you can totally shift how someone's microbiome is responding so quick, not so quickly all the time, I shouldn't say so quickly, but you definitely, I've definitely seen some pretty cool results with that stuff, sometimes quickly, sometimes not so quickly. Yeah, just with soothing, like it's just literally just soothing so much aggravation that is often going yeah. on there and a lot of, sometimes say, people haven't even thought about doing that, they don't even, obviously it might seem simple to people, yeah. some people listening or even to us it seems really simple but a lot of people haven't even been told about using these things and they can be big game changers just to help take the fuel off the fire as such I, I always explain it to my clients like if you like and just and I always say so really graphically sits in but not, <laughs> like take that take the underside of your forearm which is that or the inside of your thigh which is that really nice soft skin yeah and imagine if you burnt that like yeah fire or forest imagine if you burnt that and it was all blistered yeah what would you be doing to it like yep. to to calm it down and look after mm-hmm. it you'd be protecting the absolute living the jeepers out of it you would yep. be coating it with something nice like for me I'd probably be snapping some aloe vera out of my garden keeping that in the fridge and coating it with that but yeah. you really you need to think about like if you have these chronic gut conditions where you do have you know like ulcers and you know all this inf- all this inflammatory damage like think of it think of it like the, the softest little part of skin that you have and yeah. how much it would hurt if you had that burnt and that's what you need to be thinking about how you need to protect protect your gut lining and your gut microbiome when you have these conditions exactly I know it sounds I like horrible it. but no I love it I love it man I love it <laughs> It's a bit sick and sadistic, but it's like because I think people just to try and just like get that you know that um, recognition that our, our little gut microbiome is so similar to our skin. And if you burn your skin, like if you if you go out and burn the shit out of yourself in the sun, you don't just mm. walk around and let your skin fry, do you? Like you're you're doing like oh, especially as girls because we're all so vain. But you're walking around, you're putting aloe vera on it, you're yeah. putting moisturizer over it, you're doing everything you can to soothe that skin, like. Think of your gut microbiome as the same. Yeah, you like, can't – it's so true because you can't see it. It's like M says about mental health, you know. It's like someone dealing with severe depression. You can't see it, so it's it's not as easy to recognise sometimes. Um, yeah. So I think the the only other well, – one. there's so many rabbit holes here, but the other one I think that's definitely – well, two, of course. <laughs> there's always stress. Of course, stress is going to compound any of these things. But I think the other thing that we should – mention is of course the immune system itself but in saying that the immune system is intrinsically linked back into the gut the lymphatic tissue within the gut and the microbiome of the gut so realistically when you're doing all the things we're talking about and treating the gut and improving the resilience of the gut you're ultimately improving your immune system Um, however there are things that we do want to consider as far as these conditions um, and supporting or modulating that immune system because it is in this hyper reactive state so we can use certain types of again foods and supplements to really help nurture that and settle that down Um, and look we don't want to go into like loads of different, I guess, supplements and so forth too much. But um, it, I guess it's just something that I really want to mention that it is an area that we also need to consider and also look at what's going on with you systemically. Like are there presentations of other or more, uh, autoimmune um, reactivity and, and that might mean that we need to approach things a little bit more specifically in that light. But, um, yeah, I guess I always like to, and I I know everyone at the clinic does, just to make sure that 
we're just appreciating that aspect. So it might be look looking at your making sure your vitamin D levels are at a really good state and if we need extra support there and some zinc, some of those basics, but it might be using certain types of mushrooms to some support and modulate again the immune system. We don't want to send the immune system crazy and get it too hyperactive, but we want it to be healthy and happy and, and doing the right thing. But really, you know, I always feel like there's these extra things we can do to support that, but primarily 80, 90% of what we're doing to work with the gut is going to help and support the immune system within the gut anyway. So, you know, the, you, you kind of can't treat the gut without helping the immune system. It's just going to happen. Yeah, it's just going to happen. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Is there anything else that you wanted to mention? Like we've sort of talked through those different factors and diet. I know we haven't, we've mentioned a few dietary sort of protocols and so forth, but I think as always for us, we don't want to get too much into the specifics because no, everyone's we didn't chat individual. About IGA, but do we want to talk about that as another immune marker? Yeah. Yeah. I guess as far as we... testing goes, I mean, we yeah. haven't, we've sort of mentioned, of course, we've mentioned the functional testing. I mean, there's, there's quite a few things that we look at with the testing that are really useful in this area. Um, and yeah, secretory IgA is definitely one of them. And also I guess zonulin's another one too, that depending on the different tests that we're doing, we've got a few different labs that we use and some do zonulin and some don't. Well, you can get yeah. zonulin just done on its own, which can you tell can us if there's on own, yeah. that increased gut permeability at play. But with secretory IgA, we can see whether we've got again, and more of an upregulated response going on within the immune system, or we can also see if it's completely bottomed out that there's really quite a, a low reactivity or a, not a, a low level of immune response going on in the gut. So often you'll see, not always, like I kind of, I feel like these things should be black and white, but of course they never are. I but... feel like the secretory IgA, it's not though too. Do you know yeah. what I mean? Like, like sometimes I'm like you can definitely see an upregulated immune activity, but then sometimes too I'm like like when it's when it's really low for people mm-hmm. and they've had that chronic long-standing, mm-hmm. uh, you know, gut inflammation, I'm like, you know, is, is it kind of almost like not running out of reserves, but you know what I mean? Like just it's starting to show how much more extra support it kind of needs to. I sort of look at it the same way. I feel like, and I know there's some, you know, there's been some talk about how reliable secretory IgA is in functional testing, which like breaks my heart a little bit because I love it so much. Yeah, but, but I think, but I think do they talk about it in bloods or in, in stools. No, the stool. I feel like it's not that reliable. I think, you know, I was talking to someone just to kind of, it's, it relates to this yesterday about this whole space as far as everything being 100% proven by, of course, we want that with, you know, double blind randomized studies, but there's an element of like people are in pain and suffering and having issues with particularly the gut. And there is this really exciting space where we're learning every day and there's people on the ground like us who are working with people and seeing responses with people, seeing test results, these functional test results, which are being like looked at and updated all the time. And we see the correlations, we see the improvements with clients and we have the anecdotal um, evidence essentially. So we're applying that. So I feel like, I feel like that 
definitely, of course, warrants a lot of respect in this space because yeah. it might be that we're looking at functional testing and there might be some markers that are within it that we can pick apart and go, you know, well, this study showed it wasn't really that effective. But in the majority of working with people who have gut issues, chronic gut issues, all the time and the amount of testing we do, we see so much day-to-day as far as patterns. And so I would say... With like you can't discredit that. You just can't. And secretory IgA, I would say exactly the same as you, which, of course, to me, just proves the point as far as how long you've been practising using these tests too, is that generally it's almost like a cortisol thing where you'll see you'll see it go really, really high and really over-aggravated, like that immune response in the gut is just completely upregulated. And then it just gets to the point where the gut immune response is just like, I've freaking had it. I'm packing up shop. Yeah, I'm, I'm done. I'm tired. I've got like, nothing give else some, to give. Give me some freaking reserves or I'm going to just stop. <laughs> it's just... And it just drops out. It just gets yeah. really, really low. Like, and it just makes sense. It really does. That's how I think of, that's honestly exactly how I think of secretory. But like, if we want to pick apart, like people, like I think that's the thing. A lot of that is that this gut microbiome space is so new, and we are constantly learning. And what hmm. we knew two years ago has amplified by about a hundred million compared to what we know now. And we're yeah. keeping up to date with it, everything as much as we can. But like there are people questioning secretory IGA. There are people questioning zonulin as a marker. There's yeah. people questioning that, you know, the validity of beta glucuronidase yeah. because it's so, you know, variable yeah. at different times of the day, depending on what someone's eaten. So yeah. like, yes, yes, these markers, um, you know, don't have the, the uh, they've got the research behind them, but you know, obviously there's going to be questions and all of that kind of stuff, but it doesn't, it kind of doesn't change the fact that they are and can be very useful. And for yeah. some people, you know, some people we don't actually need to look so much at those markers. But they, for these people that are in this, these chronic conditions with these chronic conditions and chronic pain, they are very useful. And anecdotally, when you have looked at shit tons of testing like we have mm-hmm. and done them, and you're comparing them to that person sitting in front of you, you do see patterns, and you do you do know when someone is like, okay, yeah, I can see why your secretory IgA would be low, or I can see why you've got elevated beta glucuronidase or i can tell you would have issues with your zonulin at the moment like you know there's just you can marry the person in front of of you and their test result and it's that's when you start to really sort of draw those correlations with testing so yeah which is always the most important thing for us it's that who that person sitting in front of you their story their symptoms their health issues in combination with results whether that's functional testing blood testing all of it like the more we have the better but yeah. yeah, these 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 different markers can, I believe, like you too, quite passionately, can be so valuable, <laughs> and we're always looking at them. That's why you know I think that this type of stool functional testing is probably our favourites. Although I don't know, you're a bit of a Dutch fan, but <laughs> I think as far as I think with stool testing, there's so much that we can see in correlation to each other. So we're not just looking at a couple of inflammatory markers that you know, you might be able to get with a GP. We're looking at it in context to all of what uh, the bacterial presentation is, the yeast, all, all of the things, all of the things going on in the gut. So we can put it all together into one beautiful picture and yeah. create a really tailored treatment protocol, which is what, yeah. you know, which is what we love to do. And where we see the results, so the proof's in the pudding, the end, yeah. bye. <laughs> Over. But I was gonna say as well, like it's funny, like to see when you said like when I how much I do love the Dutch testing, the amount of clients that I've had come in to help to sort their hormones out, yeah. and I'm like, 
we're doing a we're doing a <laughs> gut test before we do a hormone test, guys. Sorry, because your gut, so I am not trafficking hormones through your gastrointestinal <laughs> tract. Trafficking, I love it. I have to have a chat with a client. I've if had your to, gut is not right. I've had to barter a few clients lately who are just so keen to do the Dutch and their gut's a mess and I'm like, right, give me X amount of weeks That's and then I, I will allow this test to be ordered. But until you get that gut sorted, don't even think about it. That's what I, that's exactly what I say. They book it like especially with clients booking for my happy hormones package and then like I'm like, hey, we're just gonna have a good chat about your gut because this is phase three detoxification. Like we cannot just and we go through and I'm like, we're holding off on this Dutch test. I'm really sorry. Like you can do it now, but we're not I said yeah. I'm you know, yeah, so definitely like the gut is such the you know, the the core of everything. As everyone knows that we will raise that till bloody cows come home. Yeah. But like if you're you know, that's where like this gut testing is so cool. But the amount of clients I've had coming to do a Dutch test and I'm like, where like we may not have to do a functional stool test or we may, but it's like no, until you have this gut right yeah. and we've sorted out this, I'm yeah, I say that I'm not trafficking hormones metabolite through your gut. I love it. <laughs> Well, I think we might wrap it up there. Um, I hope we've really helped shed some light in this area. If you're someone that does suffer with IBD, like I, I hope there's some some info that we've imparted today that'll really help you. And if you want to investigate further, like please reach out. We really adore helping in this area, and we can work of course, with your doctors and gastroenterologists, like, you know, if you've got someone that wants to work alongside us, we think that's amazing. Um, and I guess I should mention too, just on a side note, if you are thinking about or considering booking in to work on your health and your gut health, that all of July we have uh, 15% off initial consults with Alexa, yes. Alexa Tran, yeah. who has joined the team now. So Woo-hoo. just keep that in mind if you're kind of sitting on the fence about jumping in. Um, July is the time to do it. Sure is. Other than that, you guys know the drill. If you're new to the podcast, <laughs> we love to hear from you like everyone we love it when you share the podcast. So, you know, please, please share your listens on your socials and tag us in. Um, would love you to leave us any uh, ratings, preferably in the five-star arena on iTunes. <laughs> share it with everyone you know. <laughs> share us around, share the love. And if you have anything you'd like us to talk about, um, we have a fair whack in the database now, so you can scroll through. But if there's there's something you particularly would like us to talk about and we haven't to date, then um, let us know because we'll pretty much go anywhere and chat about anything for you. Yeah, I feel like we've got some juicy ones coming up. I've actually got a bit of a list. We'll talk about it after. But Lex and I had a really, really in-depth conversation about a podcast, something we're going to have to – because I've been holding up putting a post on socials because I'm just so worried it's going to be – I'm just going to drop this carrot and just sign off. Um, I'm just so worried if I put it in words, it's going to be taken the wrong way. So I think we need to do a podcast on it. Oh, I want to know. I don't want it to be taken – the wrong way by anyone, but I think it's a space that really needs to be freaking spoken about at the moment. Ooh, okay. So I'm, I'm going to so, leave that there. Okay, you're you going to tell me once we sign off? No, I'll tell you, yeah. I'll okay. Tell you, I'll tell you <laughs> well, that was a loud laugh. Sorry, people. podcast for it. All right, thanks heaps for joining in and we'll chat to you next time. Chat to you next time. Bye.